Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. There are other times where the God gives me the grace just to push through that wall. And I find that these, you know, somebody actually was listening and they had questions. Sometimes it's just spiritual attack. But let your, the reason, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Notice, with meekness and fear, with gentleness and awe. Not browbeating somebody, not getting angry. We can do that in such a, a sweet way. Can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep it from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. Are you ready to give a reason for the hope you have in Christ? Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Peter reminds us that as Christians, we are to do good always, even in the most trying times. In our study today, Peter tells us that we should always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. As believers, we are to have an inner reverence and peace by the presence of Jesus Christ and always be ready to give an account to anyone regarding our hope and to be able to point that person to Christ. And now, let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Unbelievers, where is that in the Bible? Learn those things. Those are the basics. Know where those things are. In Jude chapter 1 Jude, again, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. To, to contend, it's sort of like a, fighter ma- a fighting match, right, between two boxers. They're contending for a title. They're, they're working. They're, they're struggling earnestly for something. Give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason And the word reason there is so wonderful. It's the word logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word that he's talking about is the logos. means the same thing in here. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a logos, a reason. What is your account? What is your speech? what's, What's inside? What is your testimony? Think of how different Peter acted when he was in the courtyard when Jesus was being arraigned before the high priest that night after the Last Supper. Did Peter give a, uh, was he defending the faith? Was he giving a reason for the hope that lies within him? In Matthew chapter 26, remember it says, Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, "I I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said 
to those who were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it with an oath. And I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came and said to him, Surely you are one of them, for your speech betrays you. (laughs) And then he began to curse. Then he began to swear, saying, I do not know the man. And was Peter contending? Now, Peter's no different than us, because we make those kind of mistakes too. But was Peter contending for the faith, or was he recoiling in fear? He was recoiling in fear. You know, when we look in Acts chapter 26, uh, Paul, as he is on his way to Rome, and you remember when he was in Jerusalem, he was ridiculed by the Jewish leaders. And finally, they send him to Felix, and Felix sends him to Agrippa, and Agrippa goes to, you know, uh, others, and he's being ping-ponged back and forth between these different rulers. And finally, in Acts chapter uh, 26, if you recall, what did What did the Apostle Paul say before King Agrippa? King Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. And so Paul uh, stretched out his hand and he answered for himself. He said, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall today answer for myself concerning all the things which I am accused of by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and, and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me. And then he goes on, and from verse 4 onward, he, he, he starts to talk about his manner of youth, how he was brought up as a Pharisee, how he persecuted those who were not of that way. And that, and that for this reason, for the promise of the Scriptures, that he's standing before him now. And then he goes on in verse 12 of that same chapter, and he tells Agrippa the very act of his conversion on the road to Damascus. So he gives him an account of what happened to him, his testimony, if you will. So he gives him this testimony. Now Paul is defending his faith. He's giving a speech. He's sharing what it is, why I am who I am. I was brought up this way. I was on the road to Damascus. I'm on my way to persecute any of those Christians. And I was knocked down, and this bright light blinded me. I was blind. I was brought into to Damascus, and a man prayed, Ananias, to receive my sight. I did, and he tells him the whole story and how he went and he shared with the people in Damascus. He was giving a testimony. He was defending the reason for the hope that lies within him. And then he goes on, and, and even after his conversion, how Paul went throughout all the different regions of the Gentiles, preaching to them. And at one point, Agrippa... <laughs> It says, as he made his defense before Festus, because Festus and Agrippa were both there together, Festus at one point said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. You are mad. Much learning has made you mad. But he says, I'm not mad, most noble Felix, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. And King Agrippa, he addresses him. He says, do, do you not believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said this to him, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. What an amazing thing for him to share Paul giving the reason for the hope that lies within him. There are many other examples in the Bible. Stephen, before the Sanhedrin, before he gets stoned, he gives them this Bible study starting all the way back in Genesis all the way back in Exodus, and and gives them this whole history. Nothing has changed. We're just being true to the word of God, all the prophecies. 
I'm giving you a speech. I'm giving you a reason for the hope that lies within me. It's not some story that's been made up. It, it, this is real. This is real. What is the reason for the hope that is in you? What is your testimony? What did God save you from? You know, sometimes the best witness is a life, a changed life on display. For we are not to, we're to walk circumspectly, aren't we? Our lives, we're a fishbowl. As a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you're in a fishbowl. People are watching you. And what are they seeing? Are they seeing somebody who is devoted, loving Jesus? Or they see somebody who is cowering in fear. And you know what? God can deal with the fear. Every one of us has fear. And you know it. Because I, I experience the same thing. Certain times I can be certain places talking to certain people. And all of a sudden I get this funny sense. There's a, there's a real battle here. For, and, and, and I feel like I want to share. And then I, I get fearful for some reason. Have you felt that? Have you done like I have done and shrink back and then I sit in my car and I'm just ashamed of myself. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me a number of times. And there are other times where the God gives me the grace just to push through that wall and I find that these, you know, somebody actually was listening and they had questions. Sometimes it's just spiritual attack. But let your, the reason be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Notice, with meekness and fear, with gentleness and awe. Not browbeating somebody, not getting angry. We can do that in such a, a sweet way. In verse 16 of 1 Peter 3, it says, Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You know, the more you study and read the Word of God, the more your conscience will become clear. And then by the Spirit of God, you'll have to have the strength and the will to do what is right. In and of myself, I don't have the strength to do what is right. But when I read and I'm surrendered to the Lord, he gives me that strength. A good conscience allows the psalmist to say, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What, what can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I see my desire on those who hate me. One commentator said this, he said, Conscience is a safe guide only when the word of God is the teacher. And I like that. Let your conscience, again, be molded, be shaped by the word of God. Because the, the conscience is what's inside of your head and your heart and your mind. I don't know how it all separates. I think it's kind of like a mystery. <laughs> but your conscience never... Go against your conscience. Have you heard of a motherly instinct? It's sort of like that. A mother can be somewhere, and ladies, you know this. You're in a certain situation, and you just have a funny sense. I, I can't, I shouldn't do this. And then you don't do it, and you find out later that it was the right decision. You know, there's something inside of you, God speaking to you. There's a conscience there. God is working with, and he does it with men too. The Bible speaks of different kinds of consciences, a weak conscience, an evil conscience, a defiled conscience, a seared conscience. That's, that's the, the scary one. In 1 Timothy, he's, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, and he's speaking of the days we live in now, 
Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Let your conscience be cleansed by the word of God. That when they defame you, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. That is why Jesus could remain silent. He could remain silent before his accusers because he did nothing wrong. You know, can you imagine standing there before the Sanhedrin or before a Herod and people bringing charges against you that are clearly false? You know that you're the Son of God. He knows that who he is. He's very comfortable in his own shoes. He's very comfortable with who he is. And all this filth comes being is thrown at his face, and he doesn't even consider it. He's just like, it's not who I am. I know who I am. Do you know who you are? When people throw those accusations wrongfully, can you rest knowing that you know who you are in God? In Proverbs it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. And you know, so often when we hear that, we think of, uh, some kind of uh, retribution, coals upon his head, but it's really not that way at all. The Hebrew women, what they would do is if they ran out of coals, they were making bread or something and they, they ran out of coals for their fire, they would go next door or go down the street and get coals from somebody else's fire that they would let them have and they'd put it in a vessel and they'd stick it on their head and they'd walk it back to their place and then they'd use that those coals to continue with their fire. And what it is is a blessing, rather, because when you, when you look at that verse, you know, for so you will, you know, if you are feeding the hungry and giving him to, uh, bread to eat, when he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. You're heaping coals of fire on his head. Basically, you're blessing him. And as a result of that, he's like, wow, <laughs> all those bad things I said about you, I'm really sorry. He feels a little bit ashamed, right? But it's, the, the idea is not to pour out a vengeance upon him. It's more like he, he feels a little ashamed of the way that they've been speaking about you and the way that they've thought about you all this time. Now they're feeling a little bit ashamed about the things, about those kinds of things. So really it's, it's, it's us blessing and them realizing, wow, they didn't deserve this. And it changes people, doesn't it? Isn't that the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. When you remove one party in the fight, what happens? The fight ceases. Usually, unless the other person is so angry they come after you, in which case they just need to be tased. I'm only kidding, not tased. No, but sometimes that does happen, doesn't it? Somebody just won't stop, but you continue doing the right thing and not pouring more gasoline on the fire. You just remove yourself from the fight, and the fight eventually will go away. But in our pride, boy, we want to fight. (laughs) You better get out of my way. If you remember in the Old Testament, there was a really good example of this verse. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8 through verse 23, and I'm just going to summarize it for you. The king of Israel and the the king of uh, Syria, the king of Syria was trying to attack the king of Israel, and uh, God spoke to Elijah's heart, Elisha's heart, I'm sorry, he spoke to his heart the very things that the king of, of, the, of, the Assyria, of, of Syria, what he was going to do, his battle plan, basically. So finally, the king gets really upset, and he's like, he gets his guys together and says, which one of you is a mole? And one of them says, you know what, king, there's this prophet back in Judah that knows everything you're saying. God is revealing it to him. 
The things you're speaking in your bedroom, he knows. So they send a whole uh, troop to go find and capture this, this guy, this Elisha. So you remember, they're there, and the servant of Elisha comes out, and he sees the, the host surrounding them. And he goes back and tells Elisha, and Elisha says, Don't worry, the, those who are with us are greater than those who are here. And he says, Open his eyes, Lord. And the Lord opened up the servant's eyes, and he saw the, the angelic host around, surrounding the host that was surrounding them. All of a sudden, they weren't so afraid. And Elisha struck them with blindness, and, care, and, 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 and they were blind, and, and he literally brought them into the capital city of Samaria. And the servant says, great, now we've got him in the capital city. Let's kill them all. And, and what did uh, Elisha say? No, we're not going to kill them. Let's feed them. Let's give them water to drink, and let's send them home. And as a result of that kindness... Because they spoke evil of one another for so long, the Jews and the, and the Syrians. They could have wiped out their whole troop there. But instead, Elisha says, let's feed these men, give them a good night's sleep, and send them back home. And you know what it says at the end of that passage? That they no longer came into the area again because they realized their shame. They realized that their lives could have been taken from them, but they, coals of fire, the very blessing was upon them. Now they felt ashamed for the way that they had spoken of the Jews. And there's another good example of this in the New Testament. We're going to end here in just a few moments. You remember in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus was betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, And while he was speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before him and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we take out the sword? Shall we pull out the Uzis? Can you just see the, the disciples with these long trench coats, you know, and they just open it up? Should we take them out, Lord? <laughs> and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And John's gospel, he tells us it was Peter. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched and healed his ear. The very men who were coming to take Jesus, it wasn't a surprise to him. He wasn't shocked by this. He knew it was coming. But Peter, in his boldness, in his rashness, his willingness to defend death, defend Jesus even to the death, tries to redeem himself now. He pulls out the sword and he hacks off Malchus's ear. And I don't believe he was trying to go for his ear. I think he was going for the head. And that man, out of natural reflex, ducked just in time and only got his right ear taken off. And Jesus picks his ear up off the ground sticks it on the side of his head, and heals the man. His ear is restored. What kind of person does that? What a great example of, you know, of doing that. That having a good conscience, that when they defame you as an evildoer, and they did, they they defiled him or defamed him as an evildoer, those who revel your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. And it would have been fitting for that high priest and everyone there, once they saw that miracle, it would have been good for them to say, you know what? <laughs> We're done here, folks. <laughs> we saw this ear come off, we saw the blood, and now we see this guy whole again and his ear is back on again. Sorry we interrupted you guys. <laughs> That's what should have happened. And notice that it didn't deter Jesus 
from doing the right thing, even though he knew that they would be hardened of heart and they would still come after him. Even while he stood there in front of Pilate, do you notice how calm Jesus was? When all the prophecies, do you realize this? All the prophecies, many prophecies in the Bible hinged on this event as he stood before Pilate. This was the Passover. It was a high holy day, more so than usual. And this day had to be the day that Jesus had to die on the cross to fulfill the prophecies. And what did he do? Was he scrambling around trying to orchestrate this thing and make it happen? No, he sat there silent. And even Pilate said, you know what? I see nothing wrong in this man. I want to let him go. No, you can't. You can't let me go. Isaiah 53 is not going to be, come to fulfillment. I've got to be the Passover lamb. You've got, to produce, you've got to sentence me to death. Did he do that? Did he freak out? <laughs> Even Pilate's wife comes and says, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for in a dream I have suffered many things of him because of, of this, this day. Many opportunities were given, and Jesus was there silent. He didn't say a word. Under, he had the whole thing under control. He wasn't worried that the prophecies weren't going to be fulfilled. He knew they were. And the heart of man goes on. The heart of man continues on. Amazing, isn't it? Verse 17, For it is better, if it, if, if it is the will of God, that you suffer persecution. And so this has been a really difficult section because, you know, in fact, this whole letter has been very hard. But don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Let the Lord of love, the Lord of life, just touch your heart afresh again and let him reveal yourself. Give him everything. Is there any door in your life, any room in your heart that you've got keys to that you just are a little unwilling to give to him? Would you give him the key? Give him the keys to every room. Be like David where he said, Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. We'll end with this verse. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I love what Paul says. He says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I'm persuaded, for I know whom it is that I believe. And see, that's important for us. We need to know who it is that we believe. Know who it is that you believe, and then know him with every fiber of your being. Pursue him. And let me tell you, you make any pursuit toward him, he is going to run toward you, and you're going to have the best fellowship. Don't you want that fellowship? Really sweet fellowship? I'm starting to enjoy that right now. For the first time, I think, in my life. It's good stuff. Amen? Jesus Christ loves you. Loves you. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. It's very difficult what we read today. Lord, it's very um, in our face, Lord. And Lord, uh, all of us, including myself, Lord, these are hard things. And Lord, it really does cause us to search our own heart. And Lord, would you please do that work? Would you please do the work? Lord, help us to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Internally, the very center of our being, Lord. Would you do that work, Lord? 
Have your way with us today, Lord. Strengthen us, strengthen our faith, strengthen our resolve to follow you with everything that we have and be glorified in Jesus' name. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in 1 Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.